Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. All right, welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. This episode is going to be all about kind of first responder health, clearly looking behind the shield for those people that are out there serving the community, be that either, you know, firefighters, these could be industrial athletes, these can be police officers and anything kind of in between. Our guest today is James Gearing. He's the host of the Behind the Shield podcast and is somebody that I really respect because what he's done is uh, professionally worked as a first responder and saw a real problem that was really causing a great deal of concern for him uh, as he saw this trend of really uh, negative consequence um, going on in the, his field of work. So James is a former professional firefighter, is the host of the Behind the Shield podcast, is somebody that has kind of a kinesiology background, sports background, and is now really giving back to the community by sharing stories of those people behind the shield and really looking at the overall health of people behind the shield. So James, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Mark. It's an honor to be on your show, and it's actually very refreshing to be on the other side of the microphone. I absolutely (laughs) adore interviewing, but sometimes it's nice to disseminate all the amazing lessons that I've learned and kind of pass them on to other people. Great. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to learning from you today, and, and I'm sure our audience is as well. So really quickly, if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about you. You know, where'd you grow up? Um, what led you to some of this work? What were some of the some of the early stages of of James uh, growing up that led you into the kind of first responder work? So it's kind of a funny origin story. I grew up on a farm in England. I absolutely loved my childhood. Um, speaking of trauma, I mean, there were some traumatic things that happened, but it was also I was so fortunate that by accident I had a lot of very positive natural healing mechanisms inbuilt to my childhood too. So I, my dad was a veterinary surgeon, so I watched him heal. I was exposed to blood and guts, which probably helped later on in in my career. You know, the nucleus of the family was around the dining room table. So it was a lot of very, very positive things. But one thing that happened when I was in school is I was told I was colorblind in one of our annual, you know, physicals that they do. And as a child, especially back in the the 80s, you know, someone in a white coat and a stethoscope tells you a thing, then you're like, well, that must be it. And they told me you could never be a fighter pilot or a firefighter or anything. So I was quite wayward for a while as an adult. And then very long story, very short, I was a stuntman, ended up moving to the US after getting married to an American girl and just had this kind of aha moment where I was going to challenge the system, realize that I'm not colorblind, I can see color, which is obviously the neuroscience background that that you're uh, entrenched in yourself. But realize that there's not absolutes. You're not either, you know, 2020 or completely blind. There's a whole spectrum in between. And that's where I fell. So ended up challenging it, became a firefighter paramedic here in America, spent 14 years doing that, both on the East and West Coast. I've got a very unusual perspective, four fire departments total through moving around my family, and then decided to transition out after seeing the physical and mental ill health due to so many facets of the job specifically and obviously amplifying areas that we brought in to uniform as well. So for just over four years ago, I transitioned out to focus on on writing books and doing the podcast is what I do now. Wonderful. That's great. And as you think about to highlight, what was it about this podcast, starting this podcast. So here you are, James, you are a first responder, you are a firefighter, you are a paramedic, you've transitioned from the West Coast to the East Coast, moving your family each time. Four years ago, when you make this transition, what compelled you to make that transition? So there was a few contributing factors. I'd I'd started the podcast about two years prior. And as we spoke before we hit record, it was really on the back of six funerals in two years of my friends, my firefighter friends. And coming from a wellness background, being an athlete, being a coach, being a you know a ex-phys grad, I knew that there were solutions to these problems, but we weren't getting the right information. So for two years, I was doing it while I was on shift. The good Lord, the universe put me in a situation where my very last department should have been an excellent fire department, but it was the polar opposite. I'd end up rehabbing knee surgery. So I was ready to go back and just was at a crossroads. 
the Green Beret community use the word um, force multiplier. They go in and they train militia. Well, I realized at that point, 14 years in, that was kind of where I was at. You know, I could sit in the seat and still run the cause as a firefighter, still run the cause as a paramedic, but I could affect thousands of lives by doing these interviews. So it took a kind of a little bit of a, a blow to the ego, I guess is what I'm looking for, because you're coming out of the uniform that you sought to be in for so many years. But ultimately, this information, these podcasts can be literally listened to all over the planet. If you have internet and you can understand English, you can access these. So I was realized that, that if I was going to go try and make a huge difference, and it was going to have to be a leap of faith. So that was really it. My wife was very courageous in agreeing to that because I basically cashed out my retirement, gave myself a salary for a year and a half. But I felt like it was worth it that that wasn't out there before. And uh, the best way to advocate for the fire service is to not be in the fire service because now your hands aren't tied anymore. So all those compounding factors came together. And that was four and a half years ago now. So I haven't looked back. I mean, it's stressful. It's definitely not, you're not going to get rich doing this, but you know, you have the ability to speak to all these great people and then share all these conversations so anyone can be the third person in the room. Beautiful. I love it. Congrats for doing that. You know, I kind of feel compelled in a similar way to share some of the stories when I hear about people who have been assessed and, and given a diagnosis with a prognosis that is very poor. However, not necessarily always fully informed on what options might be available for that individual. And that's where I feel really compelled to, you know, pass the mic on to people who have this lived experience to have people like yourself who can share the wisdom um, for people that are listening so that they can better understand that, you know what, perhaps there is a different way. Uh, there's a different color to look at this from a different perspective that might be more informed and might help you move more towards the the outcome that you're looking for. So I commend you for that. I think that's really cool um, that you've done that. And I think it's true because when your perspective is so internal, it's hard for you to truly, honestly see the external. Well, I think the other thing as well is no matter what field you're in, and the fire service is a perfect example, we're very siloed, we're very fragmented. And so for example, if you want someone in your department to be a fitness trainer, you send them to a two-day course or maybe a week, and then they come back as the fitness expert. They want to be a mental health expert, then you send them away to a you know, week-long peer support class, and now you're all of a sudden the mental health guru. And there are absolutely rungs in the ladder, but the real experts are the people that have spent their life, their full career doing that thing. So whether it's a lived experience and someone, you know, for for example, Curtis Anderson, who's a friend of mine now, who's a Canadian bull rider who had a massive TBI, um, all the way from not being able to swallow to now he's up ice skating and doing all kinds of amazing things. So, you know, only someone like that can really storytell what it's like to have a massive TBI. And then you have the neuroscientists and all these other experts who have spent their life studying that. So you bring in storytelling and research that gives people a completely different perspective than if just in your field, we're like, well, you know, go to HR, they're the experts in, in the wellness program. <laughs> you know, So it really allows you to access these incredible minds that are anywhere on the globe now with the internet. So it's pretty exciting. It can be a very negative thing on social media, or you can use the internet for some incredibly powerful, positive things. Yeah, I love it. That's great. So so what is your what's your mission then on this? Like, be really clear. Let's hone in here. So with Behind the Shield, being really specific, now keeping in mind with Brain Mastery, you know, ours is to share those stories, those stories of brain health, both from an institutional perspective, but also from an individual perspective, really sharing those stories to help people to better understand what can be possible and to be able to connect people with good contacts that can help them maybe navigate some of these roads through the stories and through people that have navigated them before, therefore paving better pathways to help people navigate this world of brain health. When you think about Behind the Shield and you, what is that mission for our audience here? When you are a first responder, you get to see the real pain and misery in the world firsthand, raw, up close and personal. And then a lot of people, it stays with them long after the event. So there is no better insight into how society is really doing. And then, so I always used to contrast that. I have my reactive side where someone would call 999 or 911. And then we get in a vehicle and then off we go and we arrive on someone's worst day. When I'm coaching in the gym, 
my goal is to be the proactive side to try and stop someone from ever being in that position to hopefully have a long life and die peacefully in their bed. And so I think that's it. When you have seen the pain and the people we run on, when you've seen the pain in the families, when you're burying someone in uniform, there's no better motivator to want to reduce the suffering in the world. So my mission is to do that, to, to unpack a lot of these issues because that it's so frustrating when people say the phrase, oh, but it's complicated. Actually, most things aren't. We've made it very, very complicated. But for example, I know we touched on it again before we hit record. In my profession, one of the biggest amplifiers of ill health is the shifts. You know, So changing the shifts is not complicated. You may have made it complicated by you know, creating these budgets and 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 being short-sighted as far as the false economy versus true economy and investing in your people, but it's not complicated. You know, this school shooting epidemic that we have, it's not a complicated solution. We just only look at one tiny bit. We look at guns and then we disregard mental health and sleep deprivation, TBI and violent video games and psychiatric meds and all the other things that need to be in this whole discussion to fix it. Is it multifaceted? Yeah. Is it complicated? No. So I think that's it. Is I, I look at the Behind the Shield podcast like a court case for wellness. And every single episode, some, you know, a, an expert witness comes in and gives a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And hopefully the listener, the jury finally sways to go, you know what? I think I understand now why organic food isn't hippy dippy or why meditation may help me be a, a better police officer or whatever it is. So that's pretty much it. And I really amplified. I went from two to three episodes a week during COVID because, again, I saw nothing but the division, the driven division of people and the lack of good information. I mean, as I point out, not to not to venture too far on that topic, but the wellness information was, we'll close the parks and beaches, we'll close the gyms, we'll stop families and friends from hanging out with each other, you know, but we'll deliver alcohol and fast food to your house where you watch Tiger King. You know, so there's an absence of wellness gurus getting the attention and the ears and eyes that they need. So I think that podcasts remove all, all the, uh, you know, the the filters and the the what's the right word that they don't get swayed by advertising and those kind of things. You and I have a conversation; it goes out to the world, and if it interests them, then they get to listen. So that's really it to try and bring great information so we can start to kind of back it up. Yeah, I love it. And and really leading with that lived experience. I think that's something that I, I it really resonates for me as you talk about it. It's a little bit different when you walk that walk a little bit, and then you can look beside you and say, whoa, you know, I went to these funerals and it could have been me, maybe, right? You know, I was exposed similarly. Why did that happen? And what are some of the things, what are some of the steps in terms of awareness and education that we can provide that can maybe help to shift it? I'm always reminded of the whole, you know, one degree off charter, you know, and and then 200 kilometers down the road, we're in a totally different place. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to there, which I think is very, very powerful when we think about things like shift work, shift changes, that sort of thing. Well, we're not designed to do that uh, that quickly. It's just not designed. That level of disruption is very challenging. And we're just kind of told typically in some of the old culture, if I understand it correctly, We'll just suck it up. It's going to be a hard week. Well, the reality is that's not how the brain actually wants to operate. That tell our circadian rhythm that, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's common sense, but that's the problem. We found so I literally get people say, "Oh, you know, I'll talk about the work week," and, and the solution is we have to be awake at night. You have to have people ready to respond day and night. And the twenty-four hour shift seems crazy to some people in the firehouse dynamic. But I think there's a need for it, but we need to give people a lot more time between each shift to recover. And so right now, the average firefighter will work 56 hours a week minimum. And then more often than not, if they're understaffed, it becomes an 80-hour week. They have to be forced to stay yet another shift. And people will ask me, oh, can you show me the science, the research that shows that 42-hour work week is, is healthier than a 56? And I'm like, this is where we've come. The people are so blinded by this whole, this kind of holy double blind research mentality. They forget common sense sometimes. Oh, it's it. I, I see that all the time. You know, in our lens, it's when we first started in this work, 
Uh, as I mentioned, we talked a little bit about concussion, that sort of thing. People who had persisting symptoms, a lot of literature out there, keeping in mind, scientific rigor is very important. I'm not saying it's not, it definitely is. I'm a big fan of it. However, it's a 10 year minimum process. So you got your question, then you need to collect the data, then you need to get your research ethics, then you need to look at inclusion criteria, exclusion criteria, find controls, oftentimes more than one, at least two control groups, <laughs> then you need to do recruitment, then you need to conduct a study, <laughs> then you need to collect the data, then you need to have the data analyzed, then you need to have it peer reviewed, then you need to have it presented, then you need to have your, you know, and then at the end of that study, there's also all the limitations and the potential conflicts of interest. Well, the world kept going for those 10 years, right? So like, like that's the thing, it's super important, but I, I really appreciate the researchers that can see that, that whole worldview on top of that saying, this is extremely useful, we gotta do it, and we gotta do it as soon as we can, while continuing to ethically provide the best course of treatment possible. And I think that that can be a hard thing for both sides to kind of work around it. I think it's important for us to just acknowledge that because the reality is that when you're in the trenches doing the work, you still have to do the work in a way that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But that's that's the problem is that whole quote, which I think was falsely attributed to Einstein, but you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. This is what we've been doing for decades now. So at some point, you got to go, I know it's going to be hard to change. I know it's going to take courageous leadership to, you know, as they say, plant the tree under which the shade you'll never know. But that's what we need. You have to forget about looking good for that budget year and understand that investing in your, you know, fire service, police service, whatever it is, 10 years from now is going to be revolutionizing their physical and mental health. But if we don't start today and keep using the word, oh, but it's complicated, then we'll keep going to funerals. Well, this really makes me, uh, and thank you, for your courageous leadership on this. It makes me think about some of the work of actually my father who worked in emergency communications. His background was telecommunications. So he, he worked a whole career in that, in that side of it and then ended up towards the end of his career working within emer emergency communications. And it really speaks to what you're talking about around the siloed nature of the communications for first responders around 911 services and deployment. And the threads would get crossed and therefore the service wouldn't get there in the appropriate amount of time. So it's hard for me to believe that this was actually a thing, but it, it, it was. And it was created after a series of riots here in Vancouver that occurred. They had said, we need to centralize this in a way. This is at least my understanding. <laughs> Anyone from Ecom wants to come on and, and correct me, please do. Um, but that was at least my understanding of that was how do we find this? Uh, how do we find a way to do this in a way that makes more sense? Now, when we're continually exposing people to trauma, that causes problems with overall health and mental health specifically and potentially PTSD. So what do we then do? And this is where I want to want to get your attention a little bit and your feedback. My thought is why don't we look at considering investing in the cognitive health of people before it becomes a problem? Like why aren't we, we're, we're giving them a gym in many cases, a lot of fire departments, a lot of people out there who don't understand um, you know, are saying, well, they work out all day and they're cleaning trucks all day. No, they're being prepared for when they're called so that they're there for you as quickly as possible on your worst day ever. And they've well, and got to not, deal with that. And they're not doing that all day at all. They're running calls all day. They're trying to squeeze those things in between the calls. Exactly. That most... All I'm saying is those other people, they don't know. <laughs> That's no. what I'm saying. It's easy to look from the sideline, right? The whole glass houses, grass is greener thing. But an area I've always been curious about, and I don't know, maybe you could teach me, is I've always thought, like with professional athletes, why aren't we training the brains of them alongside with training the bodies? Like, why aren't we doing this? Or are we doing this in some cases? Like, why aren't we training up some of that cognitive load like we're doing the physical load? I would say from as far as the cognitive load, the actual skill set that is required by a firefighter we are constantly learning. So it may not be specific exercises, but there's a huge amount of mental gymnastics going on. I mean, as a firefighter and a paramedic together, I mean, I have, you know, drug calculations and then, you know, hydraulics when pumping the engine and, you know, the, the approximating which type of ladder you're going to go when you go to the building and all kinds of different things that you're doing mentally. So there's, there's a lot of cognition from that side. I mean, of course, we're not doing specific elements, but I think mm. it's more, again, going back to the basics, is that we're missing the fact that sleep deprivation is not only causing a huge amount of chronic disease, but the acuity 
that is lost through sleep deprivation, we wouldn't have to do any cognitive training. We'd simply have to give them the rest and recovery and their performance would also probably double because I can tell you from someone that's worked, you know, 24 hour shifts um, straight for 14 years. And most of that was a 56 hour work week. So it's 24 hours straight. So you'd be basically, people call it one day on two days off. It's actually three days on one day off, three, eight hour days crammed together. Yeah. Um, so you really have a day to recover of which you're preparing for the next day. And, you know, there's towards the end of my career, I would leave the fire station and couldn't even remember which way I'm supposed to turn to go to the call, left or right, you know, the most basal of decisions. So yeah. that is a big thing. It's, it's not so much the exercises, it's first getting back to how do we even get people the rest and recovery so they can function at 100% before we even think about, you know, adding some sort of uh, mental exercise to it. Yeah. Again, what I'm trying to hint at too is just even improving that cognitive baseline because for some, some will not have the cognitive capacity that maybe you have. And I think it's an opportunity along with, with sleep. I think from what I understand, sleep is a serious problem here in the first responder community that, you know, surely we've got to be able to come up with better solutions here, whether it's like you were saying that this scheduling, like going, looking outside of our own view and how we've done things and say, actually, here's a different way to do it. And, uh, and I think we're in a place and a time that I'm quite excited about where the generation coming up beside us <laughs> or underneath us are disrupting the way we think about things and challenging the way in which we think about things, which is actually, I believe, going to lead to a lot of good things because they're challenging the way in which we've done things in the past. And they're looking at this from a level of, of logic. <laughs> so uh, I think we need to pay attention to that. And uh, But I also think that it's very important, you know, in my work, I've actually worked with quite a few first responders and psychiatric nurses who have had a history of trauma. And unfortunately, like I talked about with concussion, the solution was drugs and rest. And there is a place for that. I'm not saying there isn't, but there is also, like we see in orthopedic issues, there are great opportunities to train back some of that. So therefore improving that cognitive function but also providing the agency to the individual that it's not a um, the kind of condition that is fixed and I just have to dull the symptoms. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's that's it. There's there's a mentality at the moment with the PTSD side and it's almost, it's firstly, you know, again, very, very blinker because it's like, oh, it's what we saw on the job. Well, that's, a, again, a piece of the whole puzzle, but it's disregarding what we brought into the job. It's disregarding, you know, all the other contributing factors as well. But there's also a kind of philosophy like, well, we'll, you know, we'll learn how to deal with it. It's like, no, you know, trauma, if you process it properly, I argue, would be become a superpower. You, that's how you forge resilience. So, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of discussion in using all the tools that are out there now to not only process trauma, but to grow from trauma, you know, and actually the same way as I, I hurt my back in my career years ago and I was offered rest, drugs, and then surgery, and I refused gracefully, um, and then ended up going through the physical training, uh, physical therapy, chiropractic, and a, and a thing called foundation training, which is phenomenal. Never had surgery, didn't take the painkillers, and it was amazing. And I came back stronger because I'd addressed the very thing that caused the back injury in the first place. And that's how I look at a lot of the Beautiful. trauma as well. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Like that's a mic drop moment or a mic hang moment. Your mic's hanging, mine's. But that's exactly what that is, is, is to look at it functionally and, and say that, you know, something that I'm really excited about around this whole concept of functional medicine is that the body and the brain are, are more remarkable than we give it credit for. You know, um, there's a remarkable book out there written by Dr. Norman Doidge called The Brain's Way of Healing that really covers a lot of the kind of more natural opportunities for brain healing. But I think a lot of the time with us as humans, we need to acknowledge we are kind of naturally sort of lazy <laughs> and, uh, and that's okay. It's just kind of how we're wired. Uh, and we're going to look for the, the path of least resistance. And we're also going to nest in many times uh, go towards the negative first, because at the top of the brainstem and the amygdala, right? Like the way we're wired earlier on was to look out for danger, immediate threat. So when we're approached with so first responders are different <laughs> in most cases, but for most of us, we're, we're kind of wired to go towards the negativity uh, because that's for self-protection purposes. So to hardwire it more towards an optimistic, positive route, like you did in this recovery process, surely there was times likely in there where it was like, 
It'd be it'd just be easier if I just did this. But the reality is you you kind of took the, the path of a little bit more earlier resistance in order to yield a better long-term outcome. And I think that's something that we're really fighting here. And it's wonderful to see people like yourself out there really fighting for this sort of a perspective, an honest perspective that, you know, if we want to be able to, to accomplish more, uh, we have to challenge ourselves. I, I bet you're the kind of guy who does the hard, hardest thing in each day early. Am I right? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess in theory, I either work out or go to jujitsu, which is pretty, uh, you know, get, get yeah, the misery out of the way. That's first, pretty Jocko, but... Jocko-esque. Yeah. But I can be a huge procrastinator too. So I'm not going to masquerade as some guy that crushes it every day because I don't. No, 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 no. I, I don't either. But I, but I think that in doing that, there's a, there's a lot of really interesting logic behind that. Because when we think about that, when you tackle that first, it's reminding you, oh, I'm actually capable. I am lazy at times, of course, and I'm not going to be perfect every day. However, I'm actually quite capable. And when we look at your example of the pandemic, I think that's a very good example. Sit back and we'll take care of it while we keep you lazier and less healthy. When the reality is we should be, it was really interesting, wasn't it? For some people, I saw them moving more than ever uh, during yeah. that. We were walking around our neighborhoods. I was like, wow, I've never seen you move. We've never moved so much. My dog lost like 20 pounds. Like it was like, it was wonderful. But I, I think it's a, it really is a, a great opportunity. However, it's something that I've really struggled with as I think about this clinically, how many clinics around you, physio clinics, there's probably tons right around where you are there in central Florida. How many physiotherapy clinics are actually dosing their programs in a way that's truly interdisciplinary, ultimately valuing the time of, that each individual spends there in relation to aligning the Cairo with the physio, with the mental health counseling services that may or may not be needed in a way that is charted in the same EMR. That's typically not done very well. Well, what does that do to the client? What does that do to the person, right? It lengthens everything. And therefore, they're wondering in the back of their head, understandably, is this actually working? Yes or no? Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that multifaceted approach is like we talked about with school violence and you know suicide and all these other areas. It's the same with that. And some of the most successful clinics have all those together. I mean, if you are a first responder and all of a sudden you rip your back or you get shot or whatever it is, that's your identity and that's your physicality that you've relied on. I mean, you've been a tactical athlete. You've been, you know, what I would argue one of the the most physical members of your community and now that's 100%. stripped from you. So if you're not addressing the mental journey you're going to be going on as well, then you're missing a huge piece of the puzzle. 100 percent And I think again, it's the same similar to what you said. I, I don't think the solution is that complicated. It's just be, having the courage to look at it a little bit differently. If we do the charting against the reported problem and then align the different medical professionals inside of that same EMR against the complaint and then dose in the appropriate treatment and then look at the functional kind of outcomes, not that complicated. Like It's really not that complicated, uh, I don't think. But what do I know? So when you think about the world of, uh, you know, obviously this is the Brain Mastery podcast. So when you look at the world of brain health, and I really want you to not hold back here, what frustrates you the most about this, this world, even from that, yes, the industrial athlete, the industrial health, but also just generalizing to brain health? What's the most frustrating areas for you? Um, well, a newer one, more so either if we were combat athletes before and during our profession, you know, TBI obviously is a big thing. My my brothers and sisters in the military, a lot of the concussion and TBIs that they've been exposed to, law enforcement if they're breaching and the SWAT team, etc. So it, it's not so much frustrating, but that's definitely something that needs to be brought in. Um, I just had a a guest on, Dr. Chris Free, who was the one who termed the uh, phrase operator syndrome, which is not just PTSD, but you're bringing in TBI and a lot of the other, you know, physical elements to it as well. And I think that's an important conversation. So that needs to be the conversation. And then again, I mean, back to, you know, flogging a dead horse, it's the sleep. Like if to me, we have a cancer epidemic, we have an obesity epidemic, we have heart disease, we have strokes, we have suicides and overdoses and all these things. And the common denominator is, is shifts, you know, and I argue when you look at a drill ground, of brand new fire or police recruits, these aren't broken men and women. 
they're physically and mentally pretty resilient members of their community. Why 10 years later are we dealing with these things that we are? So, and then you add the TBIs and the sleep deprivation. So I was a combat athlete my whole life. So I did, you know, Muay Thai and some other things, never, never to a high level of competition or anything, but got hit a lot. And now you look at the physiology from what I understand. I mean, again, I'm a, I'm a, a white belt in this whole thing, but when you have trauma, you have the demyelination of the, the uh, myelin yeah. sheath. And yeah. then when you have sleep deprivation, it's the exact same thing. So now you've got this amplification of trauma that's already there. So if we're not looking at the whole idea of if we're going to ask people to be up all night, they need to be working the same, if not less than the average civilian. You know, why are we working them sometimes double in a week, two work weeks in a week? And they're the ones awake at three in the morning, climbing into a burning building or trying to figure out drug doses on a pediatric code. So that's the most frustrating thing. The TBI element has to be brought in. Otherwise, we're missing a huge piece of the mental health problem or yeah. puzzle. But yeah. if we're not addressing seat deprivation, then that's not an elephant in the room. It's an entire circus in the room that we need to be looking at. Yeah, I love it. So on the TBI side, when we hang up here, I have some resources for you. Uh, obviously, that's the path that I've been down for most of my career. So I'm happy to serve and support in any way that I can. Thank um, you. There. And also a gift I have for you. I mean, and I'm okay if you do this. You can episode drop one of our episodes with Pat Byrne, and I think you should have him on. I will make those introductions, but in the short term, if you want to get information out, Pat's episode on our podcast was awesome, and he's a great guy. I will connect him with you if you haven't already. He's amazing, and he wrote a really good book, very simple, okay, called An Inconvenient Sleep that's, uh, that's out there in use around North America. You'll, you can find it everywhere. He's through some of my friends who are also first responders, they were telling me about this and they know, you know, Mark's somewhat of a brain guy, you know, what do we do about this? And, uh, and that's where I really connected with Pat was, um, you know, looking at sleep hygiene and, uh, you know, these schedules are just, you know, they're not very brain friendly and they're problematic when you put, I mean, it, it, it's so log illogical when you, when you phrase it like that, like, why are we doing this? Right. So, I mean, surely there's a way to change it. And on the TBI side, you know, that's where. I really want to kind of add just a little bit more. Keep in mind, I hear this term kind of loosely used a lot, and it kind of concerns me. I mean, I'm of two minds. I'm actually really happy that it's getting the spotlight that it deserves, but also I'm concerned that people think it's just an easy thing to do. You know, um, jujitsu, from what I've heard, never done it. I did judo as a kid, but jujitsu is very hard, right? It's very humbling, is my understanding of it. And that's why you do it. It's just like, it, it kind of mirrors somewhat of life, right? It is hard. And how do we channel energy properly? How do we utilize other people's energy to our own? Like all of these sorts of things are wonderful metaphors for life. But when we think about this term and the term is neuroplasticity, I've been in that work a very, very long time. And really all of us are in that work always. It just means the brain's capacity for change through focused channeled effort. But when I hear it used on many different mediums, they make it sound sometimes like it's a relatively easy thing to do. And it's simply not like with any behavior. So I liken that to the work of James Clear, the, that book, Atomic Habits, that I bought for more people than I care to admit. But uh, first one was myself, was how, how do we change a habit? How do we hardwire a habit? Well, that's really neuroplasticity in action, right? Is, is hardwiring that new behavior so it can then become a habit. And you talked a little bit about myelination, you know, that's how the brain kind of works, right? Is that, is that we kind of hardwire these new connections, neurons that fire together, wire together, right? And the myelination is how we kind of fast track that communication, little fat piece that kind of myelinates that uh, connection and therefore kind of functionally improves that thought process and that behavior. Uh, what happens in a concussion, right? Is that we, inside of the brain, we, we, we get this disruption, right? Between those connections and that leads to, in some cases, maybe hyperconnectivity in the prefrontal cortex that looks like an attention disorder, right? So that's a, a real kind of layman's way of explaining some of that. And that's why when we hear about, you know, in football, American football, we hear about, well, let's make a better helmet. I really challenge that. I say, hold on. <laughs> that problem is that shearing is still occurring, which is actually causing the problem. However, we may be able to use, reduce some of the skull fractures, which is a very net positive. But that term neuroplasticity, it's great that we're hearing more and more of that, because I think if we can do that under the understanding that 
most of us, when we think about another great book for our audience here is Hardwiring Happiness by Dr. Rick Hansen. That looks at this hardwired negativity bias to move us more towards a positivity bias. It takes focused effort and attention, and that's where the mindfulness can come in. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think sadly, what so many people are exposed to now, you know, I think you're a product of your environment. You know, this, it, we have a, an obesity epidemic where in the US, I think 70% of our population is obese or overweight. And, you know, there's a lot of people in the fitness industry that will look down their nose at them and be like, all you got to do is eat salad and, you know, work out for 10 hours a day and you can look like me. And I disagree. I don't think it's it's purely, a, you know, an ownership element. You know, you, you're going to really kind of react to what's around you. So if you are in some urban sprawl and on every corner is, you know, like a convenience store and a, a gun shop and a liquor store, that's yeah. a very different environment than I grew up in where there was, you know, fruit in the orchard and fresh vegetables in the garden and, you know, livestock in the fridge, you know, that's totally different. So I'd say we need that now more than ever, because I think the the push, the environment is very, very negative. You know, even I not kind of get back to the news too much, but this latest horrific massacre that we had in the school already, it's become about, oh, it was a transgender. Well, time out. A person killed a bunch of people. That's the truth in this. And now you're already wanting to kind of, you know, head off on some crazy way that has no bearing on what actually happened. So people are exposed to this negativity all day. So I think even more effort is required to push people towards the positive because the, the positive people of the world right now are swimming upstream against negativity. So well said. I have nothing else to say. You know, you think about you know, some of the work that we're hearing more about, which is really great to hear around longevity, and there's a lot of different people doing this work. But one of the areas that I thought was really interesting was the whole, you know, concept of blue zones and what are the behaviors inside of the blue zones. The blue zones are where the highest percentage of centenarians are are living, people who live north of 100 years. And, you know, some of these places are in the Mediterranean and other places are in Japan. Yeah, Okinawa. (laughs) Okinawa, right? What are the similarities? Well, it's very similar, right? Very different cultures, but similar. They're moving every day. You know, they're eating a relatively healthy, more Mediterranean-ish type diet. They're socializing together, right? They're even having, they're watching sleep and siestas are kind of a thing. That's not that complicated, folks. And now what they're trying to do, like they're trying to certify different areas of the world as blue zones, which is really interesting, but also kind of like concerning because it's like the roadmap exists (laughs) here, right? Like like this is what it takes. It's hard to change behavior. So we have to just acknowledge that first. We also have to acknowledge that we're hardwired for negativity. So if we, if we just state that the fact, okay, cool. But I have this goal to get a little bit somewhat healthier each day. And here's how we might be able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. It shouldn't be labeling the blue zones. It, we should be figuring out how do we expand the blue zones. 100%. Exactly. Through, through what we've learned, right? Yeah. Because, you know, there's uh, someone who was on our podcast and I, and I love it because I, I, I obviously working in this space, I hear a lot about the exciting health tech advances out there, which I kind of go wonderful. That's great. But there's no elevator to success. You got to take the stairs. Absolutely. Well, and again, you know, we talk about the, the complicated nature, you know, that's what I, the word biohack kind of turns my stomach a little bit because like, yep. the ultimate biohack is sleep. And yet that's such a hard sell for so many people, you know, and even then when they're trying to trying to pursue their sleep, then it comes into, you know, oh, well, you know, the, the sleeping medications, well, that's not sleeping medication. No. That's unconscious medication, a very, very different thing, you know? So there's even, the problem is the the most basal pillars of health you can't make money from, or you can make very little money from. So the way that you make money is you confuse people at the most basal the pillars of health to the point where they think that they need their, you know, your UV light or wearable or, you know, supplement or whatever it is, they all have a place. Once you've put your foundation to where you can, as best you can, you're a, you're a police officer and you're driving around in a cruiser. You may not be able to go to, you know, an organic farmer's market that day and get your food, but I get it. But once we've addressed all the basic things and yeah, maybe there's some space for some other in a modern technology. But the problem is, I think there's so much white noise out there. People are actually distracted from the most basal thing. And like I said, if you, the ultimate biohack to me is sleep and then followed by nutrition and movement. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would disagree slightly um, for me, but that's good though. I would put exercise first because I have found that if we can get somebody who's, who's not moving very well for many different reasons that are, that are reasonable. If we can sequence that, the reason I say this, because I had it all wrong before, is the evidence on aerobic exercise. When I first got into doing this work, I am such a cognitive nerd, full bias. Like I love this stuff. And I wanted to get people into good cognitive interventions. And I, again, I agree, sleep rate like 100%. But I came across the work of Dr. John Rady, and he wrote an amazing book called Spark, which has like been a big gift in my life. And, you know, when I read that book, I was like, oh my God, I've been doing it all wrong. Like I was like, it was like an epiphany moment. I'm like, here I am asking these folks that have attention disorders to go in and do this neuroplastic cognitive training work when they might be going into that work, not primed enough for neuroplastic change. They need to be doing 22 minutes or 25 minutes of in the zone aerobic activity to get the release of the brain derived neurotrophic factor, the dopamine, the serotonin at a place where they're then more prepared for neuroplastic change. And Rady was one of the first people to write the prescription for aerobic exercise for people that had attention disorders. Just that alone is so incredibly powerful. And, but you're so right. We all want, well, what's the pill, right? What's the pill? When I go to Costco, you know, it's, it's the, I don't like going to Costco for a multitude of reasons. But when I go and I remember seeing walking past where I get my contact solution and I see an Einstein pill and I almost throw up every time. I'm like, how is this okay? Where the centenarians are living, they're eating from the field. They're, they're, they're moving every day. You know, they're, they're not wearing a tracker, you know, they're living. <laughs> yeah. Well, just to play devil's advocate, because I've had a lot of high level coaches that have said, if you're mm. not sleeping, then diet and exercise yeah. is not useless, but is so diminished. I agree. Even from a, from a learning perspective, you know, you are not able to process that learning until your sleep. And if you think about withholding, obviously, you know, the withholding water, it's a matter of, you know, mm. three, four days at most then and then food. But I mean, as far as sleep, you look at yeah. any selection process, any interrogation yeah. technique, you're talking two or three days and people are loopy. So, um, you know, without sleep, you're, I don't think you even have the capacity to do exercise for more than, you know, three or four days anyway. So, I mean, there's so, yeah, I mean, it's point. not like that. No, it's a good point. A, no, no, I agree. But it's I agree. so important. I want to play. It's always good to play a little bit of the other side. And and keeping in mind that the first responder community, 100% for a lot of those folks, I'm making an assumption. But it's a relatively, when we look at the norm society, it's actually a relatively fit one compared to the norm control group. So I, I mean, 100%, I'm with you there. And they're close in my mind, because I think a lot of us, it, it makes me sad that people need to take sleep aids, you know? But yeah. what if you turn the TV off, walked around the block a little bit, put in some meditation, you know, however, that's not sexy. <laughs> Let's just turn on Grey's Anatomy and, you know, but, the, you know, the science is so strong out there on this with the, with the light exposure before, before bed. And Pat, I mean, will take us to church on that, Pat Byrne. Like, it's just, it's so needed. So when you think about, you know, this work, and I think I know the answer, but we all know what happens with assumptions. What inspires you the most to keep doing this work? People dying. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, yeah. the raw answer, but it's true. You know, I mean, there's so much to fix. It's funny because I was like, okay, what if, what if I had this thought? What if the first responder community actually fixed the shifts? There's a huge thing for me. What would be next? Yeah. Well, there's so many other things, so many other things. So that's it. Is you know, you turn on the TV and in 24 hours, um, we lost a Navy SEAL who survived being shot 27 times in Iraq in 2007. He took his own life yesterday, I think it was, or, or the night before. And then we had that shooting, you know, and, and that's not to mention when you walk outside your front door and you see 14-year-old children who are obese or aren't obese, but their skeleton is already looking like they're 60 because of the inactivity and the hunching over from video games and phones. And so it's like, you know, there's there's not enough lifetimes to even make a dent in it, but that's what keeps me going is if there's enough of us in this tapestry, enough pieces of the puzzle, there will be a paradigm shift. But as you said, it's not sexy to talk about kindness and compassion and wellness. And Let's fitness. make it sexy. Let's make think, it sexy. You know, I that, think it's that, sexy, but <laughs> together, together, right? Because I think there's nothing cooler than, you know, I was like, 
compelled almost to tears yesterday as I was driving back from, from the office. And I saw this woman who I just looked at her eyes. She was, she was running and she was, you know, a, a little bit overweight and, you know, her, her gait wasn't great, but she was out there doing it. Right. It was just like, so compelling to me, you know, like she was just, and she was running uphill too. And it was just like, the look on her face was like, I'm doing this. And I'm like, none of us know how hard it may have been for her to take that first step given where she was currently at. But damn it. I wanted to pull over and give her a high five and cheer for her, you know, because I was like, look at you go. You could have just taken the Einstein pill. You could have bought the, the new diet supplement. You could have bought the, you know, but instead you've chosen the hard one. And in doing that, you're going to hardwire that behavior because your brain's going to say, it's going to give you, which is a beautiful term that I want to hear more of. It's going to give you earned dopamine, not the free stuff. And the problem is our brain has a hard time distinguishing between the two. But, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Let's, let's together, let's try to make it more sexy. Because I think it is when you feel good about yourself, you got a little bit of a swagger, right? And you've earned that a little bit. And if we can together start to, you know, this is the great thing about talking with other people with kinesiology backgrounds. We, we already drink this Kool-Aid, but for other people who may not have yet maybe had the opportunity to be exposed to that sort of an option uh, and are finding it middle life, end of life, that is wonderful to see. You know, there's nothing cooler than seeing, well, you see them at the gym. You see the, you know, the seven-year-old guy who's ripped, still getting after it and treating it like uh, a constant learner. You know, how do we get people to start listening to that voice? Because that's the voice that I think we need to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's it's the environment. You know, I mean, if yep. you've if you normalize drug commercials on television and, you know, uh, like I said, fast food in every corner and you close all the, the restaurants, but you allow the fast food to keep serving their crap, you know, in the drive throughs when you have some massive pandemic. And you close down PE programs in schools and you allow yeah. soda companies to put their machines in those schools. I mean, you know, do you actually care about the health of the nation or is it just lip service? Because that was what was said the last two years. And I don't see any positive change in any of those areas. So, you know, we we have to walk the walk from the top all the way down and then vice versa. Love it. That's so, so well said. So was, are there any kind of key influences like books or people that have really helped to inspire you along this journey? So many. I've had 750 guests now, and every single person has you know, been incredible. But I mean, as far as some of my, my favorite ones that I just talk about over and over again, there's an there's a author, Johan Hari, that wrote yeah. a book on addiction, Chasing the love Stream. It. I love that one. Sebastian Junger's Tribe, another phenomenal one. Um, so those are two. I mean, there's, there's, there's Johan so many. Hari. Stolen Focus, I think that was him too, right? And that, yes. that was just beautiful that, and heartbreaking. Absolutely heart-wrenching. I, yeah. I remember my buddy bought me this book. He's like, you got to read this. I'm like, I've been putting it off because <laughs> I think I'm not going to like it. And because uh, I know, I think I have a good understanding of what, but it was just beautifully told and what a what a gift that that person is to the world. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So people want to support what you're doing. Okay. People are out there right now. They're like, okay, I'm in. How do people support you? Just, I mean, use the resources. The podcast is free. So it's called Behind the Shield. It's on all the, the podcast apps. I did write a book called One More Life, Death and Humanity Through the Eyes of a Firefighter. So that's that's a, a book that I wrote. And it's not a biography so much as I took stories from my career, but each chapter has a takeaway. It might be sleep deprivation. It might be mental health. It might be overcoming injury. But again, trying to give people a peek behind that curtain through our eyeballs, because I think it's a perspective that most people are oblivious to and understandably so. So um, yeah, those are the two two things, really. I mean, the podcast is free for everyone and there's no Patreon or any of that stuff. It's just, it's all all there for them. And then the book is on all the different mediums, audiobook, et cetera, on all the, the Amazon related places and Apple as well, I think. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you, James, for doing what you do. Uh, I've learned a lot today and uh, it might be something we do again, because I, I think we, we've got a big, a big mission here to make sort of these behavioral changes sexy and cool. And right, it's not going to be easy. You know, when you, when you mentioned the drug commercials, I find it like unbelievable when you listen to these, you know, take this pill for 
restless leg syndrome, but it may cause, you know, spontaneous explosion. <laughs> you know, you're just like, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing here? So, um, but again, as humans, we all are a little bit lazy. And I think the more we share these sorts of stories and understanding that, you know, we can be the one to make the changes for ourselves. I think that's really exciting and quite empowering. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been yeah, an amazing you. conversation. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and want to learn more about the BEARS platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neurorehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.